At the beginning of the year, we asked the question, what is God's dream for this church? What type of dreams would God have for Clarksburg Baptist Church? And we mourned over the statistics that 89% of the state of West Virginia is unchurched or underchurched. And that's tragic, not because there are buildings that aren't full, but because children will grow up without the knowledge of Jesus. And people will go through their lives suffering without hope. And we were confronted by this idea that churches have been too content to say, come to us. But some people will never come to us. And are we content to just give up on them? And many times our solution is, well, the church ought to start a new program. But what if you are the answer for the need that you're seeing in your sphere of influence? What if you are called to move and to love and to help instead of just passing the buck to somebody else? See, the goal of a church and the goal of a pastor is to equip the congregation to do ministry and support them on that journey. We talked about the great commandment and the great commission and how those two great things that God has given us tell us to love God, to love people, and to go. And we saw a couple videos of some people that were living that out in our state through a firehouse and a ball field and, and nurses in a hospital. And we were reminded that we are missionaries and we're called to the mission field of our job and our neighborhood and the people that God has surrounded us with. So hopefully over the last few months you've wrestled with this idea, where do I fit in to this plan? And how are you going to respond to this call on your life to go? So today we're going to try and help you break down what living a life on mission might look like. Am I supposed to get a bullhorn and find a street corner and yell to a city that they're going to hell? Probably not. Are we supposed to be bold in our faith? Uh, faith? Absolutely. But we have to ask the question, what is the best way to reach people with the hope of the gospel? And sometimes we might want to rush it and force it before the Holy Spirit has started working on a person's heart. Have you ever asked that question? If I was not a believer today, what type of witness would work on me? If a stranger came and knocked on my door and they had a tie on and a Bible in their hand, I wouldn't answer it. I'm just being honest with you. That's not the type of person. I don't want to get in a big discussion. And I, I'm going to assume that they probably are a cult that's trying to get me to stop drinking coffee. And that is a non-starter. If I see a man shouting on a street corner saying the end is near, I'm probably crossing to the other side of the street. But see, those things might not work for me, but you know what would work and what has worked in growing my faith? It's when someone takes a legitimate interest in my life. And when someone cares about me and they prove that to me by giving me their time and they want to see me succeed. And then they tell me how Jesus is there for me in the good and the bad. And he wants what's best for me. And he proved it to me by dying for me. 
So I didn't have to suffer the consequences of my sin. And I could fulfill the purpose of my life and bring glory to God. People that have built a relationship with me and spent time with me and then encouraged me with the gospel. Those are the people that have made a difference in my life. That's the type of witness that has been compelling to me. People that have loved me enough to give me their attention and then speak the words of Christ when I needed to hear them. Okay, got it, right? Yelling at strangers is probably not the most effective way to love God, love people, and go. But where do I start? Well, Rich Velotis in his book, The Deeply Formed Life, gives us an outline for what it might look like to live a life on this mission of loving God, loving people, and going. How do we fulfill this call to go, but do it in a way that takes the listener into account? We don't want to be impatient or judgmental or forceful or transactional in a way that just treats people as a soul that we can put as a notch in our belt and not as a person that Jesus died for. So we're going to talk about four practices this morning to make sure that we're living a life on mission corporately and also individually. As a church and personally. And the first one is this. Hospitality. The first practice that we need to regain as Christians is hospitality. Even before COVID, this was a lost art. There were people that were good at connecting with people and sitting around tables with them. But for the most part, we had stopped doing this. And during the height of COVID, all we wanted to talk about is how we craved this gathering together. But when chances came, in my opinion, for the most part, people reverted right back to where they were or even more isolated. And we filled up our calendar so much that we don't have any room for hospitality and community. But see, hospitality is not just opening our homes to each other, but also opening our hearts and hospitality is not just opening our homes and hearts to a small group of friends that we've collected over the years, but being hospitable like Jesus. Biblical hospitality opens our hearts to strangers, the people that don't serve us. We serve them. True hospitality takes sacrifice. And it's going to be a little bit of a burden, a thing that is going to be inconvenient for you, but you don't do it for you, you do it for the other person. Now the Bible tells us in Matthew 8, 20 that Jesus himself didn't own a home and he had nowhere to lay his head. But Jesus stayed in believers' homes as he traveled throughout uh, the land and was constantly inviting people to his table. We see that in Matthew 9, 9. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when it, the Pharisees saw this, they said to the, his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when they heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not a sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew was the, uh, a tax collector previously, before he was the disciple. Nobody likes the tax man, right? 
But it was a fairly common practice in this culture for these tax collectors to be corrupt. So Jesus sat at this dinner table and all these other sinners and irreputable people, most likely Matthew's friends, came to hang out with Jesus too. But the religious people were confused. Why is he hanging out with people like that? Why is he choosing to give those people his time? And Jesus is showing them that he is leveraging his relationships and his time for the gospel. Sick people are the ones that need medicine. And doctors that really care about people go to where the sick people are. Now the Pharisees were stuck in ritual and tradition. But Jesus says, Mercy and compassion are what God wants from our hearts. How much of our time as a church and our resources go towards keeping saved people comfortable rather than bringing hope to those that are without Christ? How many of your relationships are with people that could use the hope of the gospel that changed your life? How much of your hospitality is used on people that already know that you love them and Christ loves them? Is any of your hospitality used on people that are strangers, unconnected from a church family? But, but connecting with people in this way is messy. It's so much easier to keep people at arm's length. And that's true. It takes no effort or sacrifice to yell, praying for you, man. As you walk away, hospitality is a huge piece of this puzzle of being a missionary to our sphere of influence, loving God, loving people and going, just listening and being present with people, giving the gift of time, waiting on the Holy Spirit to create opportunities to speak the words of Jesus and then being bold enough to take them. But when you sit around a table with strangers, there's bound to be disagreements, right? We like to surround ourselves with people that believe just exactly like we do. But the key is here is to get to know people's story before you offer any advice. Being curious about where their ideas are different than yours and giving them the benefit of the doubt and thinking the best of these people. Meeting people where they are at and letting them know you care about them as people first. Now, we need to be careful not to be weird, right, and to creep people out. We can't corner people for 30 minutes when it's clear that they're ready to head home, right? Can't stalk people and and be strange. It has to be a balance of saying yes when God tells us to move, but also trusting God enough to let him do the rest. The Christian hospitality is opening our hearts to people like God opened his heart to us. So this next step that Rich Velotis gives us on living a life on mission is going to seem like a little bit of a leap, but I think you're going to understand what I'm talking about here. The first one is hospitality. The second one is justice. When thinking about ourselves, we're often very excited about justice, right? We came out of the womb saying, that's not fair. And a majority of the time, that means that's not fair for me. This happens early on in life. Researchers in the United Kingdom and Germany used puppets to learn when children develop their sense of justice and their interest in punishment. 
The study included 137 children who were either three or five years old, and it involved each child in different scenarios to watch their reactions. In one experiment, a devious puppet stole cookies that were originally intended for the child. I don't know about you, but if you steal my cookies, we're going to get in a fight. In another scenario, an innocent puppet cried out in distress when its marbles were taken by a troublemaker puppet. So the researchers watched these kids' reactions, and to their surprise, it turned out that the children weren't just concerned about their own precious cookies or toys, but they would also jump in to assist the wrong puppet, too. Given the opportunity, three-year-olds would intervene to return items a puppet had stolen to the original owner nearly 60% of the time. And they would take back their own stolen items almost 80% of the time. So even though we, from an early age, were inclined towards justice, for far too many of us, it's not something that we actually practice in our lives. But biblical justice is a theme throughout the whole entire Bible. God is holy and God is just. Psalms 82.3 says, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Micah 6.8 tells us, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Isaiah 1.17 says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Amos 5.24 says, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. But this isn't rocket science, right? This isn't weird. If you're going to love your neighbor, you're going to care about what happens to them. And we'll listen to their story and what they're going through, and we will jump in and act if we can. A Christian that doesn't care about the oppressed is not a good witness of the love of Christ. Widows, orphans, minorities, hungry, sick, poor, displaced, homeless, addicted, refugee. Fighting to end suffering now is a great way to show people that Jesus loves them. And Jesus shows that. He often met physical needs before ever touching on a spiritual side. He fed people. He healed people. He showed interest in the outcast. Meeting the needs people have now is important, not just worrying about their next life. Jesus said this in the Gospel of Luke, explaining why he came, Luke 4, 18. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is more than just give people the gospel and say, hope your life gets better. This is loving people enough to help them now. And this is a both-end situation, right? Being passionate about speaking the gospel and correcting injustice. God is love. And we lose our credibility as followers of God when we ignore the hurting people around us. When we don't love, we don't look like Jesus. And this hurts our witness. How many times have people in our community thought to themselves, why isn't the church doing something about it? 
In order to live a life on mission, it's important to call out sin and injustice in the world, even if my politics tell me to do something different. The love of the gospel trumps politics every single time. The Hebrew word for uh, justice, we translate as justice, is mishpat. And this not only has the idea of punishing wrongdoers, and we think about that a lot, but this idea of justice also has the idea of protecting and providing care for those that have been done wrong. Now, this doesn't mean we all have to be Martin Luther King. It can mean something much smaller and still be significant. It means that you can draw near to the hurting and the vulnerable. It means that a member of Clarksburg Baptist Church must be on the front line of every dark corner in Harrison County where evil seems to be winning. This is part of living a life on mission of loving God and loving people and going. Living a life on mission means practicing hospitality and biblical justice. It also means using our work as worship. We've talked about this before. A third of our lives is spent working. And if we aren't practicing using our work as worship, then that's a large piece of our life that's not on mission. And work is a good thing. God gave Adam and Eve the first jobs before sin ever even came. They took care of the garden. And Paul told the church in Colossae to make sure that they work hard, not just when the boss is looking, but all the time. And then he tells them why in Colossians 3, 23. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. See, every part of a Christian's life should be representing Christ. We don't get to just turn that off when we walk into a certain building. No, we can bring worship and glory to Christ through our jobs. Don't work for money. Don't work for your boss. Work for Jesus. We can be on mission at work. Martin Luther King said this, If it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, Sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, like Shakespeare wrote poetry, like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. You can bring glory to God through simple things when you do them well and you do them for him. Your work can be worship. Whatever you do, put your heart all the way in it, just like you're working for the Lord. Dorothy Sayers says, The very first demand a carpenter's religion makes upon him is that he make good tables. You can't rip people off at work and live a life on mission. Those things cannot coincide. Now, you may not be able to stand up on your desk in your office and preach a sermon, but you can represent Christ and file the Peterson account. Just like Jesus himself is your boss. And show people that following Jesus makes you different. And you can refuse to participate in office gossip. And you can avoid complaining about your boss. And you make sure that a deal is fair for both parties. 
And a third of your life can be on mission representing Christ. There is no better mission field than your work. And then you can show hospitality to your coworkers and care about them and love God and love people and go. Now, this last practice of life on mission is the most obvious, and that's announcing the gospel. It's not enough just to live a decent life and hope the people around you draw a conclusion that you're a Christian and that's why you're a loving person and then hope that they study Jesus out for themselves alone. The work of announcing the words of Christ is not just the job of a pastor or an evangelist. Every member is a missionary. Jesus is the sermon and you are the preacher. And someone may never come to you and say, what must I do to be saved? But if you're a person that is welcoming and uh, hospitable, and you care about the vulnerable and the oppressed, and you live that out everywhere, including work, then people will come to you and they will say things like, I'm feeling hopeless. The world's so messed up. There's so much evil in this world. Things don't seem like they're getting any better. And every time someone says something like that to you, that is an opportunity to share the gospel. See, when we become the people, uh, the type of people that others can talk to, they will talk to us. And when we listen, people will talk. And when we love people and we stop running away and putting up walls, they will share this with us. And that's awesome because then we can tell them about the hope that is found in Jesus Christ, the one who sets the world right, the one who defeated evil once and for all, and the one who has the victory. Once they express that and feel that safety to be able to express that discontentment in themselves about the state of the world, then we can tell them about the hope that is found in Jesus. There's no perfect presentation of the gospel. Not every situation is the same because people are different. Concerns are different. Their understanding is different. So listen and feel and struggle with people and be curious. But one thing is always the same. Jesus is the answer. Acts 4.11 says this, Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name in, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's not enough to be a good person and hope that people will notice. No, life on mission means eventually talking about Jesus. You might say, well, that might offend someone. I understand that. But here first, you're building a relationship first. And you're not just screaming at strangers from a sidewalk. They'll know that you love them. They'll know that you care about them. And then you'll share with them the most important thing in the world to you. And this may happen in the first hour that you know someone, or it may happen months down the road. A few months ago, we handed out the gospel cheat sheet. Hopefully you studied that, and now you know how to tell someone about Jesus. There are four things that you need to know and understand and believe in order to become a follower of Jesus. And know that you have a right relationship between you and your maker, God the Father. You need to recognize that you're a sinner. 
Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Any person that's honest with themselves knows that they have lied and they've stolen and they've hated, they thought wicked thoughts, they said wicked things. And because of that sin, a holy and a perfect God can't fellowship with us. He can't allow us into his presence in heaven. You need to recognize that you're a sinner. You need to realize that there's a penalty for your sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages, what we earn for our sin is death. That's a separation from God forever. And you have that choice. You can pay the penalty for your sin if you choose to. But you also should know that Christ already paid that penalty. Romans 5.8 says, but God commended his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus already paid the price. He did it for you 2,000 years ago. God in the flesh was born into this world and he lived a perfect and a sinless life. And he preached and did miracles and told people that he would die and raise from the dead. And then he did it. And an innocent person died for all of us guilty people. And then you must lay down your faith in your good works and turn from your sin and put complete trust in only what Jesus did on the cross to restore your relationship with God and cover your sin. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the gospel. That's the goal, is leveraging your relationships to be able to tell someone about the hope that is found in Jesus. When I was in... Bible college, I worked at Sears Automotive. As you can guess, I didn't change the oil. I don't look like that kind of guy. I don't have very many calluses or anything on my hand. Pretty soft as it comes. I, uh, took the, I sold tires. And during my break, I'd go to Chick-fil-A. I grew up in Pennsylvania, and at that point, when I left Pennsylvania, they didn't really have Chick-fil-A's up there. So I used to love to walk down to Chick-fil-A. And as I was walking one day... Someone I was passing said, hey, are you going to Chick-fil-A? I said, yeah. He says, hey, if you move to the person behind the counter, they're going to give you a free sandwich. I was like, that sounds pretty weird, but I'll try it. So I did it. You know, I let out a big move. And they gave me a free sandwich. And as I was walking back from Chick-fil-A to Sears Automotive, I told like five people that if they would move at Chick-fil-A, that they would give them a free sandwich. And as I began to think about that, I thought about how dumb it is that I was so excited about a sandwich, but I have the hope found in Jesus, and I'm nervous to tell people about that. I've got something so much better. I'm willing to say something silly and frivolous to somebody, but not talk about the most important thing in the world. How do we love God and love people and go? First, we make sure that we think about what would compel us to be a believer. We avoid being creepy or too intense or spooky. And we leverage our sphere of influence for the gospel. We practice biblical hospitality. The first step to you sharing the gospel with someone might just be buying them coffee and sitting at a table and saying, hey, I don't know that much about you. Tell me about who you are. That just might be the very first step. Caring for the stranger and the outcast, those that are outside of Christ. Next, we practice biblical justice. We've got to care about the people around us. 
And when they're being wronged, it ought to make us motivated to help fix that and to stand up for them. When people are oppressed, that is a wrong. And our God cares about those people meeting both the physical needs and the spiritual needs. We've got to remember that work is a place that we can worship. I would hate to think that I was a Christian, that people would not come to know Christ because of who I was at work, because I cut corners or because I uh, was a little bit shady in my dealings or I complained about my boss. We've got to remember that this thing called Christianity encapsulates every part of our lives. We're a Jesus follower, we're a Jesus follower everywhere. And then we remember that we've got to use our lips to announce the gospel. The Bible tells us, how can they hear without a preacher? Someone has to tell them the message. We're all missionaries to this county, to our sphere of influence, to the people that God has put in in our lives. We're surrounded by people that are disconnected and alone and they need someone like you to show them and then tell them the gospel. How much of the church's time and resources go towards just keeping people inside the building comfortable rather than bringing hope to those without Christ outside the walls? Most of the people in Harrison County will never step Foot in this building. We have to go to them. You are sent into this world. That is how it works. That's how it's always worked. And yeah, you might every once in a while find a really charismatic and funny pastor that can fill a building up, but that's not the New Testament church. And I'm here to tell you, Clarksburg Baptist Church, you don't have a pastor like that. It's not going to work. Maybe if I was more handsome or more uh, taller or a little funnier, we could fill this building up by just people coming to see me. But really, in the long run, it's not about the pastor. It's about Jesus. And it's not about us filling a building up. It's about us going into the world and taking Christ with us as we go sharing that and announcing the gospel to this world. Most people will never step foot inside this building. We have to go to them. If I saw a person on the sidewalk shouting, the end is near, that wouldn't work on me. But you know what would work and what has worked on growing my faith? When people take a legitimate interest in my life and they took time out of their day to spend it on me. So let's love God, let's love people, and let's go. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed. As the Richmonds come. We can't be content anymore to outsource mission and evangelism to somebody else. You are called to go. You are called to take Christ to the people in your sphere of influence. You don't need to hand it off to somebody else. When you see a need, you jump in and you fill that need. You show the love of Christ. You hear about somebody that needs a meal because they're grieving. Hey, jump in. That's a mission 
for you to fulfill. You know someone that needs the gospel? Build a relationship with them and give them the gospel. You are sent. The church has become pretty lazy in America. We've become pretty apathetic to what's going on in the world around us. There are other places in this world that don't have the luxuries that we do. We've got places like China where they cannot meet as a church in the open because they'll get shut down unless they're a state-run church. And somehow they still are growing and reaching people for Christ. We've got all the freedoms in the world. Josh and I met with a school principal this last week, and he talked to us about how he's able to share Christ in his school. We've got every freedom in the world to take the gospel wherever it needs to go. But we get scared. We try and force our way rather than consider how the listener would hear the gospel. Why don't you pray and ask God right now? God, who are the people that you're sending me to? God's always sending us. You're never done. There's always another person God wants you to minister to. There's always another opportunity to share the gospel. So who's God sending you to? If you would sincerely pray that, not just once and leave the building and forget it, but make that a daily prayer. God, who are you sending me to? Where am I supposed to live this life on mission? Maybe you're unhappy and you're stale in your faith and this is the thing you're missing. You can't just continue to take in uh, biblical knowledge and never burn those spiritual calories. In the end, you're just going to be bitter and bored and sit around criticizing everybody because you're not doing the mission that you've been called to do with your life. you ask God where to send you, where he wants to send you right now. And to commit right now, God, if you'll make a way, I'll take it. Even if it takes a long time. Even if I have to put myself out there, even though I, I've just considered myself an introvert and a shy person, I'm going to put all that down and I'm going to move when you call me to move. Help me to build relationships with people and show them hospitality and Make sure that I'm standing up for the oppressed so that I'm not looking like a hypocrite. Make sure that I'm living it out everywhere, including work. And then God, give me a chance to speak the gospel. There's nothing more amazing than sharing this hope with somebody. Let's take a minute to 
pray and ask God what he wants us to do. today and we talked about the gospel just a little while ago really the whole time but we told you how you could come to know Christ today in this moment you got to recognize you're a sinner that's bad news right we've done things we've said things that have separated us from a holy God but Christ paid that penalty already and you can put your faith in him right now You could call out to him in prayer right now. Words aren't important. It's not a magic prayer. But you can decide with your heart to turn away from your sin and to put your faith in Christ as the only means of your salvation. The band's going to sing here in just a second. If that's you, I, I encourage you to call out to God. If you do that, I want to know about it. I want to be able to talk you through about it. You write that down on your connection card before you leave and put it in one of these boxes. I'd love to be able to follow up with you on that huge decision. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Choose Jesus today. Let's stand and sing.